Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to another Viper Week podcast. Today, we're going back in time. We're going all the way back in time to when the Viper was just starting to be conceived. This article comes from Auto Week. Headline reads as, we just did it. The story of the Viper. That's why we are doing a Gen 1 story. Honestly, like, sort of pre-Gen 1 story. It's almost like VMO, VMO1, VMO2, and the like, including the concept. So, let's get into this article, because I think this is going to be a nice blast from the past for those who haven't read this article before. With the public debut of the 2013 SRT Viper scheduled for the New York Auto Show, we've scoured the Auto Week archives to bring you some classic Viper stories from our past. For classic Viper Week content, their Viper Week content, including the latest news as it happens, check out autoweek.com forward slash Viper Week. I forgot that this was a Viper Week article, and now I'm having this Viper Week article on my Viper Week. <laughs> That's kind of something. The article was written by Robert A. Lutz and was originally published in Auto Week 10598. Let's read. The most famous Chrysler turnaround, the one fueled by the invention of the minivan and the K-car and supported by government loan guarantees, was followed by a second, less celebrated escape from the brink of disaster. The first comeback is rightfully attributed to Lee Iacocca and then Vice President Hal Spurlick. Hopefully I got that right. The second recovery depended on a wave of new, more appealing, and competitive products. It owed much to a triumvirate of car-crazed leaders, Robert A. Lutz, Tom Gale, and Francois Castagne, who not only changed what kind of cars the company built, but also how it went about designing and building them. Lutz retired as president and vice chairman of Chrysler on July 1st. He has written a business management book based on his experiences, Guts, the seven laws of business that made Chrysler the world's hottest car company, $24.95, that will be published on October 19th by John Willie and Sons, Inc. Well, obviously by now, that, are, that book has come out. The accompanying excerpt is condensed from Chapter 3 of Guts, in which Lutz recounts the inception of the car that began Chrysler's second turnaround, the Dodge Viper. If ever there was a right and right-brained product at the right time, the Viper was it. In the media's eyes, we remained laggards, a technologically and stylistically benign company riding a tired, one-trick K-car pony. What we most needed was some event, some symbol, some proof that Chrysler was not dead. That within our company, there bubbled the the optimism, creativity, and sense of outrage necessary for us to fight our way back to health. While we needed such proof for the press and for analysts, we needed it most badly for ourselves. We were tired of being treated with the same dismissiveness shown the terminally ill. Tired of being patronized at cocktail parties by executives from other car companies. Finally, what we needed came. As with so many right brain inspired breakthroughs, this one owed its origin to serendipity. For Newton, the precipitating agent was an apple. For me, it was a black roadster. I was blasting my 1985 Autocraft Mark IV Cobra, a splendid recreation of the famed Shelby Cobra of the 60s, around some of southeastern Michigan's more interesting roads one day in the warm weather months of 1988. 
pondering Chrysler's situation and reflecting how the original Cobra, with its lightweight 2-seat aluminum body and its outrageously powerful Ford V8 engine, had become the single most imitated sports car in history. Then came a sort of blinding flash of inspiration. In our future product plan, we had identified a big new pickup, what was later to become the highly successful all-new Ram pickup introduced in 1994, to be powered by an equally monstrous cast-iron V10 engine. Also planned for the truck was a new 5-speed, heavy-duty manual transmission. Why not, I thought, combine a prototype of that new truck powertrain, wrap it in an exciting 2-seat body, only slightly less voluptuous than Raquel Welch's, and display it at auto shows. That we would be shamelessly lunching off Ford's heritage did not trouble me that much. The Cobra's mystique transcended any one company's ownership. The next morning, I talked over the idea with Tom Gale in our design shop and Frank Francois Castagne, who was then heading Jeep Truck Engineering, the potential source for the prototype parts. It took the three of us about 10 minutes to decide to do at least some initial design sketches and preliminary mechanical layouts. The legendary Carroll Shelby, having transferred his allegiance to Chrysler along with Lee Iacocca, was brought into the picture next. We were delighted to have his help, since as a certified friend of Lee, he could help, help convince a possibly skeptical chairman that we should at least create a show car. The early drawings, very close to the final Viper, were, to tell the whole truth, initially disappointing to me. My personal vision had been a of a car much closer to the original Cobra, though somewhat modernized. But Tom Gale and a tiny handful of designers had, wisely as it turns out, decided instead to embark on an all-new look, an interpretation of the character and feel, the aesthetic impact of the Cobra, but bearing no direct Cobra-derived visual cues. Over the years, I have learned not to react too quickly when shocked by a design proposal. The very best designs, the freshest and most audacious, often are hard for a non-designer to integrate. Later, when I saw it as a full-size Clail model, I was overwhelmed by its impact. I was immediately sold, and the gang of three, plus Carol Shelby as our Cobra conscience, decided we should execute it as a concept car for the Detroit Auto Show in 1989. Work was begun in Newport Beach, California by Metal Crafters, a highly skilled and often used source of concept cars. On a visit with Lee Iacocca, we saw it semi-completed as a real car for the first time. It was stunning. Much more dramatic in shiny metal and fresh paint than a dull brown modeling clay. Lee Iacocca became a fervent supporter on the spot. Now to name it. Dodge Marketing was eager to tie it into some heroic but semi-forgotten Dodge icon like Challenger or Avenger. The forefathers didn't like that idea, however, because it didn't make the clear statement that this was son of Cobra. We knew it had to be some kind of snake. Finally, on the corporate airplane taking us from California back to Michigan, Francois Castein, Tom Gale, and I agreed on Viper. The marketing folks caved, the name was instantly assimilated, and one of our designers was sufficiently muse-kissed to generate spontaneously the now famous emblem of the slyly grinning reptile, seemingly sharing some intimate joke with the viewer. When we unveiled the car in January of 1989 at the Detroit Auto Show, it blew the roof off. It was blatant, subtle was its polar opposite. It defiantly made no excuses for lacking many basic creature comforts, being not just windowless and topless, but door handleless. 
like many great yo many great roadsters from yesteryear. We suspected correctly that Viper customers couldn't care less about such lapses. They wanted excitement and exhilaration. Zero to jail in four seconds was this car's message. Thanks to the boldness, exuberance, and self-assertion of our designers, Chrysler the dull, stodgy, beleaguered K-Car company was suddenly a flag-waving champion of high performance. Much to the chagrin of many of the guardians of Chrysler's purse at that time, we proceeded to explore the possibility of actually manufacturing the car. We knew the project would have to be lean in terms of investment. We knew it would have to be done fast before the public forgot the show car's impact. And we knew that to execute it quickly, we needed a small, agile, highly motivated frame of commando-type car buffs, not a docile herd of plotting, business-as-usual engineers. To that end, we called a meeting at which anyone, regardless of rank or function, could come forward and volunteer for the Viper team. The meeting was packed with eager faces spanning the age spectrum from recent college graduates to combat-hardened veterans on the brink of retirement. From these, Francois Castein picked 80 shock troops. At their head, we put a strong and capable leader, Roy Schuberg, an experienced engineer who had been an instrumental member of the Corvette team when he had worked at GM. We housed the Viper Group in old facilities in the former AMC Engineering Center on the west side of Detroit. Hourly UAW members fabricated and assembling prototype parts worked side by side with technicians and engineers. Whenever a problem arose requiring input from several team members, Roy Schubert would ring a handheld school bell, the signal for everyone to drop what they were doing, gather around, and hammer out a solution. This was real-time, right-now problem-solving, with no reports or focus groups to slow, its pro to slow its progress. In retrospect, it's clear the Viper team really was confronting two challenges at once. One obviously was building the car, but the other, no less important, was testing in microcosm our thinking about how platform teams should work. We knew that if the Viper were to stand a chance of getting a green light from all of senior management, we would need to show the car had more going for it than our own right-brained passion and gut instinct. So, we subjected the car to an unflinching, left-brained analysis for how little could we build it, how many enthusiasts might buy it, and where in the market should it be priced. Luckily for the Viper and Chrysler, senior management ultimately sided with the enthusiasts, but only because we'd done our homework and had marshaled a persuasive left-brain case to go along with our right-brain instincts. At long last, in mid-1989, Lee Iacocca, in a nicely staged bit of showmanship during a West Coast financial analysis meeting, tossed me a set of Viper keys. Go build it, Lutz, he barked. He didn't have to tell me twice. To this day, I have Japanese car executives coming up to me and saying, tell me, Mr. Lutz, exactly what market research led you to build the Viper. That research must certainly have been quite in-depth. My response? We didn't do any research at all. We just did it. That article to me is such a perfect example of why you can't always get bogged down by bureaucracy. Sometimes you just have to go for it. Just go with your gut instinct and then, you know, let the cards fall where they may. However, with that being said, they still did it in an intelligent manner. They, they drew up, so to speak, a proper business case for their right brain lunacy and it worked. So it's, that's a really good, the Viper, or at the very least, the Viper's 
development story and then its approval story is a really good example of why you do need to just go for it but be intelligent with it right don't just grab life by the horns with no sense of self-preservation but at the same time don't get bogged down with all the overthinking you know just force yourself into it you know the hardest part is just starting and so the that that story to me is a really really good example of just go for it but be intelligent with it. And it's also just a really, really interesting story that goes to show how the Viper started out as no more than a show car just to prove to everyone in the automotive industry and beyond that there was still life, enthusiasm, and optimism within Chrysler, much the same way that the Portal concept in roughly 2017 was meant to show that the Chrysler brand wasn't dead. And then it, it grew, it escalated, obviously, because they, the they got all the checks and all that interest from the auto shows to build the car. But that wasn't enough. They had to make a proper business case. Otherwise, it wasn't going to happen, right? And they managed it. They managed to do it. But the car, they made a proper business case for it. And then the car, I would hope to think the car was good enough, was interesting enough, was just what the company needed to make the executives go, all right, fine. Especially Lee Iacocca to say to Bob Lutz, go build it. Do this thing. Show them. And the rest, as they say, is history. A brilliant story detailing the early life of the Viper. The really early life of the Viper. How about the life of the Viper before it was even called Viper before. It was even really a thing. Such a great article. The link for the article, so you can go read it for yourselves, will be in the description down below of this podcast. In any case, so I hope you enjoyed this Viper Week podcast episode. If you did, please make sure to like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, and please like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do actually subscribe, thank you very much. Make sure you hit the little notification bell and then all notifications so that you're notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have one on the Podbean mobile app, hey, no problem. Here's a solution. Before you set off, Tech and Cody Scholar Conundrum, and then choose the episode you want to listen to. I will see you all next time. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars, if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at CodyCar, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.